here are five of the most popular questions. Shall I be eating organic or non-organic fruits and vegetables? Do I have to eat everything organic? It's so expensive and you know, I definitely can understand that question. Um, so the best resource for this is to go to EWG org that stands for environmental working group org and you will see on there that they have um, collated a list of foods that are that you should really be choosing organic because when they were tested they have the most pesticides and chemicals and compounds that you know makes them less healthy and then they have a whole list of foods that you know what they were grown in the same soil that of everything else, but they did not contain as many pesticides and unhealthy compounds as um, as the first list. So you will see that those lists they are called the clean. 15 and the dirty dozen. Normally, um, it's the fruits and vegetables that have a thicker skin, they're grown a little bit differently, that you can probably get away with buying non-organic and it's pretty much okay. Um, but the fruits and vegetables that are on the clean 15 list are the ones that you really should be buying um, organic. It's more like the lettuces and the, you know, the, the types of fruits and vegetables that can really absorb the pesticides from the soil and things like that. So ewg.org is your answer for whether or not or which fruits and vegetables you should be purchasing organic versus non-organic. There is tons of information on that website as well besides this topic. They give resources of um, how to choose, you know, safer cleaning supplies and cosmetics and, you know, fixing your air, cleaning up your air a little bit. So if you're interested in any of that type of information, that is the best place to go, ewg.org. The second question that I was asked a lot is, should I be eating gluten? and dairy, you know, why are these two topics always coming up, you know, what is the deal? So here's the answer. Gluten and dairy and some other foods are more easily able to sort of do little damage to your gut and escape the gut and get into your blood and cause a little bit of inflammation. Not everybody will have that effect and that effect does not necessarily have to happen for your entire life. So there are plenty of people who have tolerated gluten for their whole entire life and then all of a sudden at a later age, they start to feel bloated all the time or you know you're having uh, bowel irregularities or even joint pain or mood dysregularities um, so when those types of symptoms start to creep up that is when you start to question am I eating something that my body is not tolerating and so not everybody needs to eliminate those foods only people who are beginning to experience symptoms that are, dis are uncomfortable and you kind of don't know where it's coming from. 
this could be a good place to start. There are many other possibilities that could be leading to those uncomfortable symptoms, but a good place to start is say, well, let, why don't I try for just a couple of weeks to eliminate the gluten and the dairy and see if I feel better. That's a great place to start. I would caution that that doesn't mean that, you know, you, that it's better off to run into the store and then walk through that aisle of everything that says marketing, gluten-free, you know, um, just because something says gluten-free on it does not necessarily mean that it's healthy. Um, you know, they, they can take out the gluten, but then they can add in all kinds of other compounds and chemicals and ingredients that are not necessarily good for you. So be very careful about choosing when you, when, you when you decide to experiment for a couple of weeks without gluten or dairy, be very careful about your alternatives. The way that I like to think about it is always look at that ingredient label and make sure that you recognize all of those ingredients as food things that could have easily been taken out of nature and put into this food and you know and nothing has been changed to that ingredient versus chemicals and compounds that could be listed on the ingredient label that you don't recognize they are sort of like these scientific sounding compounds that you know was put together in a laboratory to either you know extend the shelf life of the food or make it taste better or change the consistency and things like that um, so read the ingredient label on whatever food you're going to be choosing to replace your gluten products and um, you know make sure that those are healthy another thing to to look at is how much sugar is in the food because if the food contains tons of added sugar, that also does not make it healthy. And sugar is quite a processed food as well. Um, hi, Dana. The question is, is the same with nightshade vegetables? So nightshade, and this is a very individualized sort of issue with nightshade. So nightshade ve vegetables, first of all, are eggplants, um, tomatoes, peppers, uh, potatoes could be considered a nightshade. Those are some foods that are in the category of nightshade and there are many people who do have um, a sort of sensitivity to those foods. So the best way to do it, exactly exactly how I explained with the gluten, is to have a three to four week experimental time period where you say, okay, I'm going to eliminate these foods completely during those three to four weeks and see how you feel. If you feel better, then it's likely had something to do with it. Um, and if you feel no difference, then you can add them back in. However, whether you feel better or you don't, I would still be very careful, and this is the same as true with my question on gluten, is um, during the reintroduction phase, you don't wanna just say, okay, everything is fine, and add all these foods back in all at once. You have to be very careful and strategic about the way you reintroduce these foods after that three to four week experimental time period. So when you're reintroducing, I recommend that number one, it's only one new food at a time. And when you add that new food in, add a little bit in the morning, a little bit more at lunch, a little bit more at dinner of that same food 
and then do not eat any of it for the next three days. And during that whole three to four day period, pay attention to every possible symptom, not just stomach pain or bloating, but also insomnia or joint pain or headaches or skin condition rashes or you know something like that so there's a whole long list of symptoms that making sure that you weren't feeling those before and now you're adding in this new food and now you're gonna stay with that one food and think about those symptoms for the next three to four days so if you have any questions about that let me know but that's the it's important to um, number one experiment with three or four weeks of complete elimination of whichever food you think is the problem and then you know reintroduce only one food at a time very strategically okay I hope that answered your question so um, and then just one more reminder on if you're eliminating something and you're replacing it looking at those ingredient lists I have some great examples here um, this is for gluten-free foods um, Pagels bagels is a really great gluten-free bagel um, I do have a discount code if you're interested um, it is P O F 10 but certainly write comments on this um, on this video if you missed out on a, one of those you know words and you need me to repeat it or spell it out um, this is a bread that they sell right in the freezer aisle of the supermarket it's called base culture um, I love it I love it it's in the freezer aisle it's gluten-free if you look at the ingredients they're all good whole unprocessed ingredients um, you know you stick it in the toaster and it's a great gluten-free bread and I have ideas on so many other food I, um, options and alternatives to gluten and dairy so ask away if you plan on experimenting with this type of elimination and I will happy to share all of my ideas um, okay next question I got all the time was should I be taking a probiotic this is another great question you walk in the supermarket or in a drug in a drugstore aisle and they are packed with a million different kinds of probiotics and who knows you know do I need one do I not need one if so which one and so many questions on that and it is very confusing so first let me explain to you exactly what is a probiotic and then we can talk about whether or not you might need one number one is probiotic is a live bacteria our bodies are actually 90% live bacteria and only 10% of our own body cells so we are made of mostly bacteria and we are constantly trying to take care and feed this ecosystem of bacteria that live all over our bodies so probiotic is a live bacteria and then the uh, the sort of the the difference there is there's another word called prebiotic and a prebiotic is not a live bacteria it's the food that the bacteria thrive on so we have prebiotics which is food for the probiotic which is a live bacteria 
Now, the bacteria that live in your gut, in my gut, and everyone else's guts, is everyone has very individualized strains of bugs that live in their gut. Not everybody is the same, everyone is very different actually. And every single probiotic that you take from the store, or even the probiotics that you get when you eat things like sauerkraut, or kimchi, or kombuchas, every one of these things has a different strain of bacteria. So to start, if you feel great, you are having regular bowel movements, you are digesting your food without any issues, no bloating, no indigestion, all these things, you probably don't need one. You are perfectly good, your bacteria in your gut is keeping you healthy and you're doing good. If you are experiencing some types of indigestion, if you're not going to the bathroom regularly, all these things, it is possible that you need a probiotic, but it's also possible that you're not eating enough fiber, or you're not drinking enough water, or you're eating a food that your body is not tolerating. There are so many possibilities of things that could be an issue. So you have to sort of think about this in like a scientific controlled way. And, if you're, and, and start experimenting, okay? You might just say, okay, to start, maybe I'll try to take out gluten and dairy. Maybe I will, then the next thing is, maybe I will try to add in more fiber and drink more water. Or, and then the third thing is, maybe I'll try adding a probiotic. Maybe if you're a type of person who has been on antibiotics for a very long time or many times throughout your life, it is possible that you have some, you know, um, bacteria in your gut that has been sort of killed off and you do need to replace it. So it's all these different, it's always sort of putting together this big puzzle, figuring out which piece of the puzzle is causing your discomfort. So the other part to this is I would start with the prebiotics. I would start with feeding the bacteria that you already have versus jumping all the way to the extent of taking the probiotic because you don't really know which strain your body needs. So if you take the prebiotic first, then you can first focus on feeding the bacteria that live in your gut. And if you still don't feel better, then you can consider a probiotic. And which one you should take, that's another big mystery. And that is where it might be helpful to work with a healthcare professional. Please seek out my um, advice and assistance if you think you might need this because it is not something that you could just easily sort of pick from the store and know that this is the one your body needs so that's where it helps to get some advice okay so I hope that that was helpful start with the prebiotics because that's just fiber and food that can feed the bacteria in your gut and then think about the probiotics okay next question is um, how many times should I be pooping so you should be pooping one time every single day at least. It could be more. One to two times is even better. Um, pooping is a very good sign of your healthy gut 
um, you know, metabolism, digestion, everything. So it's very important to have that process where you're detoxing. That's the way your body gets rid of toxins. It's the way that you can keep your cholesterol levels down. So by pooping, you actually, the fiber can attach to cholesterol and remove it. So if you're having problems with cholesterol, make sure you're getting in your fiber and having regular bowel movements every single day. Um, it even helps regulate your hormones. There's so many pieces involved in how healthy it is to have one to two at least regular bowel movements every single day. And then we're getting to the end of my 15 minutes, but last question is, should I be eating fat and saturated fat and all those things? And that is, Fat is really healthy for you. Please remember that fat is good for you. It's always better to try to get the um, unsaturated, polyunsaturated, and monounsaturated fats. So those are the ones that you get from olive oil or from fatty fish like salmon and tuna. Those are the best types of fat. But it's okay if you're getting some saturated fat as well. Just counter that with lots of fiber, fruits and vegetables, and resistant starch like rice and potatoes, all of that fiber, like I said before, can attach to any types of cholesterol that you might have and remove it. So yes, it's okay to eat fat, even some saturated fat, but mostly choosing the unsaturated fat is the best way to go. And if you are eating fat, also include your fiber to make sure that you're clearing out any fat that can turn into higher levels of cholesterol. So those were your biggest questions this these past couple of weeks. Um, have a great day and a great week, everybody. I'll see you next time. Goodbye.